I'm going to close Dolphin. <laughs> that's that's really good, actually. Now I want to try. Oh, that was incredible. Oh, my God. How are you so good at that? You're listening to a lot of Dolphin podcasts. I'm Jenny Palladna. I'm Tyreek Plummer. And I'm Jim Stormdancer, and this is Topic Lords, the only place on the internet where you can hear topics discussed. This is a very special Topic Lords where we discuss only topics. It's the topic special. Uh, but before we get into those, Jenny, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, I have nothing to plug at the moment. Tyreek, same question. Sorry, I'm burping. Okay, I think I'm done. You, you can you can endorse burps. Uh, yeah, I would like to I would like to to plug uh, burps and belching, um, <laughs> and also my video game that I'm making, Catacomb Kids. It's on Steam. Buy it. It's incredibly hard. It's also not done yet, but that just means there's more to come. How many How many uh, seasons are you up to? I'm working. <laughs> what's the word for when you get to a new <laughs> biome in your game? Oh, uh, yeah, like environments. Yeah, I'm working on the third one right now, and I'm really, really, really happy with how it's coming out. I just played some today for like a significant chunk for the first time, and I'm like, okay, I'm less afraid that this is going to be awful now. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, you've already done it twice, so a third time should be just more of the same. Yeah, I guess, I guess I'm getting used to it. I don't know. I remember when you started on the second one, you were having a real hard time like making it be as fun as the first one because you'd work on the first one for like 10 years. Yeah, I feel like that's I feel like that's not happening this time though. Like I feel like I've I have a better grasp of the situation now and how to approach it, so yeah, that's a good place to be. Are you guys ready to start on some topics? Let's start on some topics. Jenny, your topic here is hot topic. Okay. So I think so in case anyone is unfamiliar with a hot topic, it's a store that has been in the mall since at least the late 90s, possibly the early 90s. Yeah. I'm going to look it up while yeah. you talk. It's it's so old that it was it was kind of new and cool when I was a teenager. It was one of those stores that we didn't have in our own mall because um, our mall wasn't cool enough and you had to drive like 40 minutes to the cool mall. Founded in October 1989. Oh, wow. That is older than I thought. Total assets, $371 million. That's pretty good. Oh, that's in the fiscal year 2009. So <laughs> Maybe not. I guess they haven't updated that in a while. Yeah. Um, so I had... I got old, you know? Uh -huh. Jim, you and I yep. are the same age. Yep. Yeah. Going to be 40. Already 40. Okay, so we're... Kind of the same age. So for part of the year, we're the same age. I had thought for maybe the past 15 years that if I went into a hot topic, it was going to be like full of cool teenager stuff and they were going to give me withering teenager stares and I was going to just evaporate on the spot like an old person. But I went into one about a month ago and it was fine. <laughs> just... it's, it's all people your age. Wait, like for the first time? Yeah, probably for the first time since the mid two thousands. Oh, and it's fine. They were just selling a bunch of pop culture stuff that I'd actually heard of. I feel like my experience with Hot Topic is like I would go to Hot Topic like with my older siblings when I was younger, and I didn't really have like a sense of style. Uh, that I could own. Mm -hmm. And so I would just like wear the same things that they would wear. And like a lot of my clothes were hand-me-downs and stuff. And a lot of them came from Hot Topic. But I don't know. It felt like 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 weirdly too edgy for me. And then by the time I reached the amount of edge <laughs> that, that would be appropriate, I felt like I was, okay, now I'm too old to, to participate in this amount of edge. No, because it's grown up with you, apparently. I guess so. Now it's all business suits. Well, it's no, it's still people who are wearing the same thing they wore when they were a teenager, but now they're 40. Mm -hmm. Well, see, that's the thing is now I no longer want to wear the things that teenagers wear. <laughs> but if you ever decide to, you know where to go. I do. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have any hot topic stories, but I read about one on Reddit where there was a girl who realized she had to catch her bus 
and then realized the peaches in her bag were leaking. <gasps> so she ran outside and yelled, peaches meet your fate and threw them in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> and then ran off to catch her bus. Okay. Wait, what does what? this have to do with Hot Topic? Yeah. What? <laughs> this, this occurred, this was written by a Hot Topic employee about oh. a Hot Topic customer. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's my Hot Topic story. As I, I mentioned, like uh, when I was younger, like, you know, my older siblings would wear, wear clothes. And I think my brother had a shirt where someone was chasing after a bus and yelling at the bus. Just wait, 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 stop the bus. Uh, I have to get my friend Jack off. Uh And Uh Uh I did not understand the joke of that shirt for a very, very long time. It's kind of a badly written version of that joke. Like, I would workshop that before I put it on a shirt. Unless you're doing the version where it's a slimy business business executive (laughs) thinking of the t-shirt design. You you just take that design and you put it in a thought bubble of a slimy business executive. And then whatever design you're thinking of becomes ironically funny. Oh, man, you take it one further and the slimy business executive is a cartoon anime version of Ben Stiller's character from Reality Bites. And now you've got the nostalgia market. Are they all, are they also in a thought bubble of, of someone? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you sell it in a hot topic that's also in a thought bubble of Ben Stiller. Oh, how do you get to the hot topic that's in the thought bubble of Ben Stiller? Ben Stiller has to think of you. Oh, Ben Stiller has to think of me shopping in order for me to shop? That's incredible. Yes. It's just the facts of the world we live in. Is that why there's no food in my refrigerator? Because Ben Stiller hasn't imagined me getting groceries? Well, he he doesn't think about grocery stores. He only thinks about that one hot topic. I'm so hungry. I I thought you were going to say, is that why I don't have any food? Is because Ben Stiller has thought of it all and now it's just (gasps) trapped in his mind? Oh, no. (laughs) Eventually, he's going to think of the whole world, and it'll be like uh, Link's Awakening. Oh, wow. Oh. <laughs> like a reverse Link's Awakening, where instead yeah. of instead of when you wake up, everything <laughs> like disappears, it's when you think of everything. Like, the more things you think of, the more things stop existing and are trapped in your mind. Wow. Right. That sounds awful. This is why so many people nowadays are depressed. <laughs> What if Ben Stiller imagines another Ben Stiller who's outside of his head? I feel like the Ben Stiller that he imagines would be outside of his head of another Ben Stiller that's still inside of his head. (laughs) Right. Yes. That's what I was going to say. You know all those wiki pages that popped up for the movie Primer? Yeah. Yep. I feel like we need one of those for our Ben Stiller reality. Topic Lords Discord. Get on it. Okay. You guys ready for another topic? Sure. So I'm realizing here that we really should have done the easy ones <laughs> at the end because we know we would know how long to stretch it out for. But um, we're, we've already made our bed and it's time to sleep in it. Yeah. We've sorted the spreadsheet. There's no unsorting the spreadsheet. Uh, Tyreek, your topic <laughs> here is toe picks. So this is something I learned about 15 minutes ago. Um, nice. <laughs> Uh, when I first heard the term, I thought it was like something really gross that you'd like use to floss in between your toes. But apparently it is part of the anatomy of a figure skate. Wow. There are, oh. Yeah. So that's one of, one of the differentiating factors between figure skates and like ice hockey skates is the fact that figure skates have toe picks, which are like little spiky ridges towards the front of the skate that help with like turning and jumping and like give you a little bit of grip whenever you need to do something fancy. Can you spin on them? Can you do like a pirouette? I I guess. I don't know. Like I said, I've only known these exist for 15 minutes. Sure. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. I'm, why am I asking the person who knows as much as I do? <laughs> I mean, they definitely, figure skaters definitely spin around on their toes. Yeah, they spin on their toes. So, I imagine, I imagine these are probably part of the reason they can do that. That would make sense. Yeah. What you, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say this is like for picking a guitar with your feet. That, that makes sense, too. I'm sure there's, like, amputee guitarists who are pretty proficient at feet guitaring. I, yeah, I, I, one of them made it onto the news in San Diego. I remember uh, seeing, like, oh, it was on the local news. It, they, ended the, um, they ended the segment by saying, and he says that 
one day he wants to be respected for the music he plays and not just how he plays it. And then the other, uh, the another news anchor was like, oh yeah, it's amazing. And then realized, realized that he was just like <laughs> respecting how he played it and kind of just, just looked chagrined. I mean, what he was playing was not like super amazing, unfortunately. It was only the how, it was only how he did it. Right. Uh. I was going to say, do any of you have a, have any like ice skating stories or anything? Uh, I, I don't have any stories. I have never been, as a child, I was able to roller skate really well. Something about having the four distributed wheels and just never learned to stand up on an ice skate. Still can't do it. I don't have a roller skating story exactly, but I was, I've been like on a Tony Hawk kick and I've been reading about skateboarding tricks and I found this like glossary of skating terms online as and as I was scro- and it was like scrolling through all the ones that I recognized, like fakey meaning going backwards, and it was illustrating them all with women. And I was like, "This is amazing! Women don't usually skateboard. This is uh, like really neat that they're using photos of women to to illustrate these skateboarding moves." And then I realized they're all wearing roller skates because oh. roller skating is the girl sport. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and and like, but they use all the same terms apparently, all the same vocabulary. And then I was thinking about like, and this is something I've been, this kind of been on my mind is like, which, which came first, my like for skateboarding or my like for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater? Like, are they kind of intertwined? Mm-hmm. And when I tried playing aggressive inline, which is like the Tony Hawk like that was on uh, rollerblades. Like, did I dislike it? I remember it? that game. Yeah, did I dislike it because like I didn't think the game was as good, or was it because rollerblading just isn't as cool? And if it's because it isn't as cool, like why is that? Because like you know they they play a video at the beginning of the game of like people doing pretty impressive and dangerous rollerblading stunts. Like it's no less impressive, no less physically demanding. It's just not as cool. And I think it's because, oh, this is what girls do. Wow. See, wow. I have some feelings about this now, now that you've put it that way. Go um, for it. So, skating was kind of a, I feel like a big part of my childhood. Skateboarding? No, skating. Like inline skating. Aggressive yeah. inline skating. The kind of aggressive inline skating that was in Aggressive Inline, the video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, like, when when that game came out, I was, like, super pumped because it was like, oh, it's like, oh, everybody's so obsessed with skateboards and stuff like that. Why is why do, why do inline skates get no love? And I never understood that it sounds like you group, like, inline skating in with the same as, like, four wheels in a square kind of roller, roller skating. When in, in my mind, they've always been completely different things that have, like, very little association with, even though they are like kind of similar because I feel the same way. It's like, Oh, you have like, you have like the four wheels in a, in a square. Oh, that's kind of, ah, that's kind of lame. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's what the girls do. Yeah. Yeah. It's like put, put them in a row and, and have like a, leave like a little gap between so you can grind on things. And that's super cool all of a sudden, you know? <laughs> right. Um, would you say that they're significantly different skills? Like my, in my mind, you could oh, not at all. go from one to the other and do, use the same like muscle, muscle memory. Yeah. Oh, the the inline to the quad wheels. I have had the same problem going from quad wheels to inline skating as I had with ice skating. About, really? Yeah. Ankle strength or something. That's fascinating because like I, yeah, when I get on ice skates, like there's like a small adjustment period, but for the most part, it feels almost exactly the same oh. as as inline skating, like from what I, you know, from when I was a kid, but like the structure of the skates is different. Like they're a little more flexible, whereas inline skates are kind of like padded and, and have like some rigidity to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They would have to in order to stay straight. Yeah. And also, so you don't like break your ankle when you, when you fall. Um, right. But yeah. And so, so like, but like aside from like adjusting to that sort of minor, in my mind, minor detail, getting on, on ice skates is pretty smooth adjustment. And that, that, so one thing I will say that, that ice skates have to deal with that inline skates don't is that ice skates are cutting into the ice. And so it's much harder to like turn them because like when you're skating, you're, they're kind of, they kind of get in a groove. Right. Whereas, and, and so like if you try and turn them, you'll be like fighting against the friction of scraping against the ice as opposed to just like, oh, I can just like, you know, slide my wheels along the ground or whatever. 
Do you have? Do you think you have to do a little hop to get out or something? I don't think you have to, but you could. Yeah, yeah you just turn on the toe pick. Yeah, exactly. You turn on the toe pick. Yeah. And the, la- the last time I went ice skating, I was in, um, I think, Boston for PAX East. And I had booked an extra day to stay in the city to check out the city. But when that extra day came, I remembered that I suck at being a tourist because <laughs> nothing interests me. <laughs> so I ended up just walking around the city a little bit and like looking at things in a sort of slightly bored, bemused kind of way. And then I walked through a park and there was an ice skating rink there and it was like kind of snowy. And I was like, oh, this seems cool. So I just like on a complete whim, just rented some ice skates and went out and skated. And it was it was fun. Yeah, that sounds like a good time. Yeah. Have you talked to Danny Day about inline skates? The uh, he was one of the developers on desktop dungeons. No, I haven't. Apparently, before he was a game developer, he was a pro inline skater. Wow. Oh, wow. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, I tweeted recently about um, uh, a video of how to do pressure flips with Tony Hawk and Mike Vallelli. I don't know how to pronounce that guy's name. And like there, there's this scripted bit where Mike Vallelli storms off angrily at the concept of doing pressure flips. What's a pressure, What's a pressure flip? flip? Uh, it's like a, it's like a kickflip, except you don't make the ollie motion with your front foot. You kind of like, you just kick the tail down with your rear foot and then scoop the back of the board forward. Okay. Um, and apparently this just became really uncool and maybe he has a personal relationship with them uh, like 30 years ago. And I was just talking about this is like how toxic skating culture is. It's like even if you're Tony Hawk, people will yell at you about pressure flips. <laughs> and then Danny Day responded talking about like he told me the, the anecdote of how, yeah, I was at a, a, a professional skating event with Tony Hawk and Mike Vallely and it was they were just like they were in that video. Like Tony Hawk was cool and he taught me vert tricks. And Mike was an asshole and wouldn't talk to anybody who wasn't a skateboarder. Oh, wow. Wow. So, apparently he's got some history there. And he then he talked about how, like, skate culture got insecure about uh, outsiders um, muscling their way in and got inline skates removed from the X Games. Wow. wow. Which feels like there should be a documentary in there somewhere. Yeah. yeah that's, that's super petty. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing that always used to upset me when I was a kid and like, you know, doing inline skating and stuff like that. Like I never had anything against skateboarders, but they seemed to have something against inline skates. Well, yeah. Like when was and this? I was, I was like, we're all doing cool things. Why can't we all just do cool things <laughs> and let them be cool? But but like skateboarders were like, oh, inline skate. That's not a thing. That's, you know, you, you know, get a real sporter or, you know, get a get an actual skateboard so you can be good at something or whatever. Um, like apparently in um, in like the mid 90s, skateboarding kind of fell out of the culture, like from the early 90s to like the late 90s. And inline skates were like were like on the rise. And I think skateboarders mm. got they got insecure about that. And so right. I, do, I do think there's some aspect of gate keep, gatekeeping happening there, but I also mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it's gendered as well. Oh mm. yeah, I was I was super super into Tony Hawk too. Like I got uh, full completion, including the whole gap checklist. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, right. That's I think I put that on resumes in my twenties. <laughs> that's that's serious business. It was it was a whole thing. Yeah, that's intense. Like I um. But my first Tony Hawk game was three and I got every goal with every skater, but I didn't like the gap list. That's too much for me. It's a lot. Um, and then I dropped the franchise completely because I didn't have a PS2 and the PS1 version of Tony Hawk 3 did not have female custom skater options. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, so I can be any skater I want as long as I'm a boy skater. Oh, you can you can be Alyssa Steamer. I can be Alyssa Steamer. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Uh, so I've got good news for you. If you care about this sort of thing, uh, you can play the bulk of the best games of the franchise. Just You can just get Dolphin. That's what I closed. That was what I was running when I closed Dolphin. Oh. I was running uh, Tony Hawk's Underground 2. And some of those games are still really good. Nice. Yeah. I feel like I should say that 
even though I was really excited when Aggressive Inline came out, I'm thinking back on it and I feel like there was probably a lot of really offensive, not great stuff in that game. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I I mean, I haven't played it in like, you know, like 20 years or however long. Yeah. Like I think the Tony Hawk series definitely like in two, you probably remember this, Jenny. There's a mission where you harass a bum repeatedly (gasps) following him around until he leaves the park. Oh, shit. Was that in two? Yeah, it was Ollie the Magic Bum. Oh, I do remember Ollie the Magic Bum, which is a good phrase because it sounds like his name could be Ollie the Magic Bum. Or your goal is to Ollie over him. <laughs> well, and, and that was the goal. It was to Ollie over okay. him. And he was magic because yep. he teleports around the park. He, Ollie the Magic Bum became a playable character in the later games. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah, Ollie the Magic Bum deserved better. He got good at skateboards so he could get revenge. (laughs) (laughs) There's definitely this thing where like in later games, uh, you will play as, you know, a matador or Ben Franklin on a skateboard and they have this really like exaggerated like, oh, I'm about to fall off animation when you're skating down the road. But you're also like, I'll just do a 721 foot Japan over this uh, spine. Like... <laughs> now I really want a like full contact uh like Tony Hawk and Bully had a baby roller derby game with some like you know like contact like the the elbowing stuff I don't know anything oh, about yeah. roller derby. Yeah. I, if roller derby roller derby is something that men do, you have a chance that this is going to be a video game someday. Uh-huh. Otherwise, I'm sorry, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh you could you could make a twine game. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I mean I, I, I could I'm sorry I feel really bad about saying that uh-huh. uh, you guys ready for another topic I'm ready for another topic let's do it we, we could move on from Tony Hawk which somehow became the the topic topics man my topic here is topical medication and this is kind of just an excuse for me to talk about how I have a cat that has uh, hyperthyroidism. And so like, oh, no. uh, she would like just eat insane amounts of food and poop insane amounts. And like, mm-hmm. just to the point where like, she's running away from the poop as she poops. Like, oh, I'm pooping running around the house. <laughs> ah, it's still coming out of me. <laughs> Don't look back. Ah, it's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that how uh, Poxitani Phil works? Where, if he sees his poop, there's going to be a... Six more weeks of poop. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we went to the vet for this and they gave us this medication that was like, now you have to shove this down your cat's throat two de- two times a day for the rest of her life. And we realized very quickly, this is not something this cat is going to be okay with. Uh, mm-hmm. So we went back and we got a version which you rub on the inside of her ear instead, which is much more doable. And so, like, we have this uh, syringe of, like, it looks like custard. It looks delicious, (laughs) like donut filling. (laughs) Oh, the forbidden custard. That's right. Uh, That you you (laughs) squirt, like, a tiny amount of it onto onto her, the inside of her ear every morning and night. And that's been, she's been much better since. And that's my topical medication story. Good. Do you have a topical medication story? I don't think I do. Um, I mean, I have a giving pets medicine story, but good enough. Let's we're, we're desperate here. <laughs> uh, I uh, acquired a couple geckos. Ooh. When was this? I want to say it was not this past Christmas, but like the year before. Mm-hmm. How does time work? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, when I first got them, I got them from a a, a friend of a friend who was trying to get rid of them. And I was like trying to acquire them for a very long time because I knew they were wanting to get rid of them. And I was like, I don't know this person, but I love animals and I've been wanting lizards for a while. So, you know, they just wanted to get rid of them. And I was like, I will be that person. And so we finally managed to make it happen. And they gave me the lizards. There's two two geckos and they had they like gave me like the the, uh, housing that they kept them in and stuff. 
So anyway, all the information they gave me about the geckos when they gave them to me was basically wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> they eat sunlight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I got the geckos and I kept them, you know, housed in the same glass enclosure. But apparently you're not supposed to do that. They're not social creatures. They don't get along. Oh. So I woke up one night and one of them was screaming, which I'm pretty sure geckos aren't supposed to do. <laughs> It was this very strange, odd sound. Uh, And so I got up and, you know, out of bed, it woke me up. I got out of bed and looked in the thing. And one of the geckos was sort of completely sideways in the mouth of the other one, (gasps) like a corn cob. Wow. Yeah. And so I reached in to try and like, you know, get them apart. But they're small animals and I don't want to like be super forceful because I don't want to hurt them even more. Right. Right. And the one that was in the mouth of the other one bit me. (gasps) And held on. Oh, no. And so now there's just like three creatures just sort of nesting dolled (laughs) in the mouth of another one. And then you went and bit somebody in the ass just to... Yes, exactly. Just to full circle. Yeah, just to keep it going. Anyway, long story short, I finally got them apart and took took the one that had been, you know, getting corn cob eaten uh, to the vet because they seemed in pretty rough shape. And uh, turns out their um, one of their arms was broken, and so the vet put a tiny little cast on it, which was super <laughs> cute. Uh, except the problem was that um, geckos shed, and when the gecko shed, the cast came loose and ended up pinching off the arm <gasps> instead of keeping it in place. Yeah. Uh, and so when when we when I took the when I took the gecko into so apparently like, the vet didn't know about shedding. Well, when I took the vet, when I took the the lizard in to d- take, get the cast removed, its arm was essentially just like a shriveled husk, and oh, so yeah. they had to perform a tiny tiny surgery to amputate the arm of this little gecko. Oh, everything about this story is so horrible, but also so tiny. Right, yeah. exactly. Everything is tiny, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so I had to, uh, I you know, everything turned out okay. It's still alive, so I guess I'm doing okay. Oh, good. But um, yeah, and that's part of the reason that I went through all this is because like even after it went through all that, it was still just like super lively. It just had a messed up arm. And, you know, I was like, I don't want to give up on it. I just got this thing, you know? Yeah. And I also like, I don't want to let down the person who gave it to me in the confidence that I would be taking care of it and treating it well and stuff. And it's like two weeks later, I'm like, oh, hey, the thing you gave me is dead. Sorry. <laughs> but you give it back and say, okay, you can have it back now. uh but after after all this went through when it went through i had to uh i had to give it a subdermal so non non non-topical but i had to give it a subdermal uh injections uh like like of antibiotics and stuff and that went really poorly because it didn't want to stay still and also it's a lizard their skin is pretty tough and i had to like get it in its you know in its arm and uh-huh. it had such a small arm and it was extremely wiggly and it was a trial. So, yeah, I ended up trying to do it myself for like a week and a half or so before I just kind of gave up. And I was like, I'm just, I'll am just i take you to the vet every other day so they can do it. Oh, so I ended up having to go to the vet like every other day for like a month and a half or so. I was hoping you were going to say that you hired a nurse who was also a gecko. <laughs> That would have been a better story. Yeah, that would have been that would have been better. Have a little like nurse's hat on. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, he's he's still he's still kicking, but that's my that's my pet medicine story. So how big are geckos? He's about like the size of my hand, like from the tip of my middle finger to the bottom of my palm. And that's that's from like nose to tail? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I think I think I think that that looks about right. Like so so comparable to like a fence lizard. I don't know what that is. Oh, it's the like the most common like wizard lizard you see out in the world in California. Ah, uh, the most common mm. wizard you see. Is that the lizard that you take your stolen goods to? Uh, I think they call it that because they like to be on fences. Wait, fences or fences? Fencers. <laughs> they have tiny t- <laughs> tiny foil and and little mask. They evolved alongside fences. Right, it's convergent evolution. <laughs> the fences need them to pollinate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm 
I'm still hung up on the the, the corn cob style eating of the gecko. <laughs> and what I'm wondering is if you'd kept watching instead of intervening, which it was totally good and right for you to intervene at that moment. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if it would have been like a rotary corn eating or typewriter style. I think typewriter style, definitely. Okay. Yeah. It's probably the easiest way to eat a gecko. If you're another gecko, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could, if I wanted to, I could probably just chomp it down in like two or three bites, you know? Prove it. <laughs> uh, Jenny, do you have a good, uh, a good pet medication story? Uh, yes. Okay. It's yes and. Thank you. Yeah. Yes and. <laughs> Appreciate that. I was trying to find the and, and it's like, I can do the yes. Maybe if I keep saying yes, the and will come. And, and nope. Oh, well, it's time to move on to another topic uh, then. Okay. Uh, this is a write-in. Uh, Grok asks, my friend who is completely unaware of this podcast and did this apropos of nothing, emailed the Mars Chocolate Company to find out why the Topic Candy Bar has that name. And this is their response. Dear Mr. Smith. Thanks for getting in touch about our Mars product. The Topic Bar has been a firm favorite since its introduction in 1962. Unfortunately, over time, the origin of how the Topic chocolate bar came to be called Topic has been lost and now has become a mystery that we are still trying to discover. If you need any more information, please let us know. Kind regards. And then there's the there's like a ticket number and like the name of the chocolate care representative. So we're <laughs> we're here to. <laughs> Find out once and for all. We need to do this investigation. Why is the topic candy? Have any have any of you eaten the topic, the hazelnut candy? I've never heard of these. Is it a UK thing? Apparently, it's a UK thing. Yeah, because I've never encountered one. Yeah, I've never seen this in life. It sounds good. I love hazelnuts. Sure, they're they're apparently there's a hazelnut in every bite, according to the promotional material. That sounds like a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Like, okay, so do, do they mean there's hazelnut in every bite, or do they mean there's a full hazelnut in every bite? A hazelnut. Yeah, that's... Because uh, that sounds like a recipe to spontaneously generate hazelnuts by biting. <laughs> yeah. We can create matter. Just invent the, the, the jaw that can take the smallest possible bites. Yeah, we're going to have to go to the literature on this one uh, to find out what the what the commercial actually said. And then also go to, like, the court records to see if anybody sued... To say, oh, you meant a hazelnut, but you said a hazelnut. All right. I'm Googling this right now. <laughs> okay. So, what is actually in a topic bar? Apparently, it's a hazelnut. A whole ass hazelnut. In every bite. Uh, it contains hazelnuts, nougat, and caramel, which like, does any, do either of you know what nougat is? Because I know like anecdotal, like I've, I've encountered nougat. What is it? I think it's almonds. I think it's like uh, marzipan, but with almonds. Is it marzipan with almonds? Oh, maybe. Shit. Nougat is a family of confections made with sugar or honey, roasted nuts, uh, oh. whipped egg whites, and sometimes chopped candied fruit. Chopped candied fruit. Okay. Um, also, according to the commercial I saw, nougat is pronounced nougat. What? What? Where? Who says that? <laughs> what? This is a UK thing, I guess. Oh, God. Why do they do that? I know they say urinal. Wow, that's terrible. I don't like that at all. It's upsetting. <laughs> yeah. Not a fan. Well, according to our uh, metrics, uh, not zero people listen to this in the UK. So, they can hopefully write in. Okay. It's it's 12%. 12% of the listeners to this podcast are from the UK. Well, I like the idea that even the company doesn't know. And I feel like they should just like put out. They should hire a private investigator. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, or like an open call for like, like, please help us solve this, this longstanding mystery. And then just like a bunch of investigators go out and like seek out the origin of this, of the name of this chocolate bar. But then mm -hmm. like maybe things take a dark turn and like someone ends up dead. <laughs> and then there's, oh, there's like, there's like a whole conspiracy where it's like, you cannot know, you cannot know the origin of, of the, of the topic name. Or it turns out the name is just shockingly racist. Oh, that could be it too. <laughs> it's like, we know, but we're, if you don't know, we're not going to tell you. Right. It could be the candy bar that people can't stop talking about. 
It'll be the topic of town when you get a topic. <laughs> How droll. All right, this next topic. <laughs> uh, Jenny, you have your test of proficiency in Korean. Yeah, so I have literally one thing to say about the test of proficiency in Korean. And what's that? In comparison to the Japanese language proficiency test, that one has five levels and they're all pass or fail on that level. Mm -hmm. The test of proficiency in Korean has two different tests that you can take. And um, depending on your score, you might, so like if you score more points, you might rank into a higher Korean proficiency bracket instead of losing completely. It's like playing skee-ball. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, I like that a lot. We can talk about the Tony Hawk franchise again now. Okay. <laughs> in in Tony Hawk's Underground through Underground through uh, American Wasteland, they had a difficulty selector where uh, you could p play the game in easy mode, in normal mode, or in sick mode. Uh, in sick mode, although it sounds like it would be for ailing people, it's actually even harder than normal. And it, it uh, adjusts the difficulty of all the individual skill tests that you do uh, to to the difficulty you selected. But in Tony Hawk's Project Eight, every individual uh -huh. mission can be can be succeeded at to three levels of success. Oh. So they do this with like score cutoffs and with like timer cutoffs. Like if you do it faster or if you go higher, as a result, you can like you can beat the goals that you're really good at at sick level and the goals that you're less good at at normal level. And I think it's a much, you know, cleaner way to have that sort of breakdown. Like if you really want to feel sick about everything, you can do all the missions at sick, but you don't have to, you can just do some of them at sick and be like, that's enough sick for me. <laughs> <laughs> you can never have enough sick. Let's talk about Korean again. I'm a fan of the Korean language and especially the way it looks like the, uh, mm -hmm. like Hangul, the written language. I'm also fascinated by it because it was like the written language was an intentional creation by yeah. a person and not like. It's very good. Yeah. Like that, that whole situation is just super cool to me. Tell me about that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So the Korean written language was created by, what is it? Uh, Sejong the Great, I guess. Uh, yeah. So before the Korean alphabet, they wrote, primarily wrote using Chinese, like Chinese characters. Hmm. And I guess, I guess this dude was like, mm, I let's not do that. And uh, it's a bad plan. Yeah, it's it's bad. I, I don't <laughs> like it. Um, and so yeah. he uh, oversaw like the creation of a specifically like so they were speaking Korean, like Korean language wasn't created, but they just didn't have an alphabet that was their own that matched the language they were speaking. And so uh, he decided to create a alphabet and uh, and like written language that would actually that they could like call their own and that would be, you know, the standard uh, across across the land. Reading now, the Korean alphabet was designed so that with people with little education could learn to read and write uh, because apparently the literacy rate in that era was super low. And he was like, this is something that everybody should be able to do. Yeah, that makes sense. I, like the alphabet. Uh, writing systems are much more accessible than whatever you call the one where you, every word is its own symbol. Yeah. And I'm also a fan of the way just the, the language looks. It's like so many, yeah. it's like very geometric. It's got circles and straight lines and angles and stuff. It's like, it seems really elegant. I would like to learn it at some point. Yeah, same. Um, somebody told me that, that it's actually like phonetically readable too. Like you can just look at the the shape of everything and the symbols included and know how to pronounce it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something. So I'm trying to learn kanji right now and it's, it's bad. <laughs> it's a bad scene. And I'm frequently, frequently jealous of the, the Korean written language. So not only did they pull readings, like straight up borrowed the entire uh, Chinese symbolic, symbolic language. Yeah. Once. And steal pronunciations from it, but they kept checking back in over like a thousand years and was like, okay, how's the linguistic drift? How are you guys pronouncing this one now? Okay, cool. We'll take that one too. <laughs> and we'll just use <laughs> both of these. Oh, what's it now? Oh, it's gone now? Okay, cool. Everybody, this one's con, gone, bay. <laughs> yeah. Depending on when the, when the word became popular. Oh, it's 
the worst. Conlangs are fun. I want to make a conlang. Conlangs are fun. Let's talk about conlangs now. <laughs> this isn't this isn't exactly a conlang, but uh, Niflas, the creator of uh, Knit, oh yes, yeah. um, recently tweeted about how he was short on money this month because the Braille labeler he bought cost six times as much as he thought because in his custom font the six looked too similar to the one, and then someone replied and saying you're kidding, right? This is a this is a weird joke, and he was like no, and then he posted a screenshot of the Twitter conversation in his custom font. And it's just this googly mess of moon man letters. It was ridiculous. <laughs> like it's still English. It's still the English alphabet. I, th- like, I think the closest thing you could call it is like a substitution cipher, I guess. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you familiar with, uh, I didn't hear about the whole like price mishap. I've just been following Niflis's like journey through this process of, gradually substituting one letter at a time in the English le- in, in the English alphabet. Yeah. And so like once he gets used to the way one letter looks and can identify it at a glance, he'll substitute another letter. Yeah. For like a different that symbol. It seems like a smart way to do it. And and so now it's got he says it's gotten to a point where he can really like fluently read. Apparently not fluently enough though, because Well he he went and fixed the similarity problem after this event. Mm, okay. So, when I asked him, like, what are the benefits of this? He was like, so I can DM without hiding my notes. Uh, uh. <laughs> and, like, also that when he's learning Braille, he's learning it faster because he's already got practice learning a weird alphabet. Ah. But maybe, do you know, like, wh- actually why he made the decision to do this? I don't know. Those sound like both cool reasons. I would also say because it seems like a weird, fun thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. I also asked That's... him I asked if he if he considered um gra- like in addition like now that he's used to the alphabet gradually changing the actual grammatical structure <laughs> of the way he <laughs> writes and reads things so like just you know switching parts of speech around and that sort of thing just gradually. Oh yeah. You could do just object subject verb. Yeah, exactly. He say he's not going to do that though. Like if he's reading Twitter on this, you would need a Twitter yeah, plugin that really. like parses the oh, yeah. sentences and and rewrites them. Might be a bit much. <laughs> I've been wanting to get into Loishbon recently. So what's been happening to me is that my day job involves writing stuff for, um, to parse natural language English sentences and disambiguate them. And the more that I do this, the more I feel like no one should ever, ever, ever do this. <laughs> and we should all just be learning a logically unambiguous language. <laughs> The whole thing with Lojban it's is it's supposed to be completely syntactically unambiguous. Right. Yeah. And it also, I don't know a ton about it, but I listened to someone posted a video on YouTube of them describing their like uh, world building thing and, and they described it in Lojban and it was just, it sounded beautiful. Like the way that Tolkien talked about the phrase cellar door, which I was always like, eh, it's fine. <laughs> like it's a fine phrase. I was like, oh, oh, I think I see the the emotion that he was feeling there. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tyreek, do you want your catacomb kids to speak this new language that you're going to invent? So, actually, it's funny. When when we were first starting to record the, like, voices for kids and grumbles and stuff for catacomb kids, we considered a couple different things. We considered making them speak Esperanto. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But none of us know Esperanto. <laughs> <laughs> That's Babelfish is right around the corner. <laughs> we also considered um, like just kind of making them speak in like kind of like midness speak or whatever, where it's just kind of like cut up syllables and then just kind of randomized. But we ended up recording like, you know, actual full phrases and whatnot. But more recently, I have started like dipping my toes into actually making a conlang for the non-common tongue in Catacomb Kids, which would be nice. like King's, King's Cant, which is the language that magic is spoken in. Nice. Um, I haven't gotten very far with it because... So my my uh, sort of interest in language and conlanging and, and, that, and you know, grammar and syntax and stuff is kind of only passing. 
Uh, and so it's like something that seems really cool and it seems like I'd be interested in. But then once I actually start getting into like the technical details of it, it just goes like so much of it just goes so far over my head. And I'm like, I do not know what any of these people are talking about anymore. Yeah. And so I'm not entirely sure like it, where would be a good place to more gradually ease myself into that pool. Like you can just start making shit up. Like that's how people made la- like the people who made languages didn't read all these white papers before doing so. So that's fair. But I feel I feel like I don't know. That's part of what I what fascinates me about about this sort of thing, though, is specifically like like for instance, uh, in my language, King's Kent. I'm I've I've been like thinking about like oh what where did it come from and why is it spoken like that? And King's Kent in itself is in lore, a, con- a constructed language. It was created by an individual. And so, I'm trying to like think of like, okay, what were the individual's goals when they made this language? And it's like, okay, it's, it's you know, that, that sort of thing. Like, I keep getting caught up in that and like, it seems, I don't know, it just seems really hard. It's a lot. It's a lot of work <laughs> to actually, to actually do this sort of thing. And also, it's, I wouldn't use it anywhere. It would just be for my own entertainment, honestly. So, that's also kind of been a limiting factor. Is you you wouldn't actually put it in the game? Probably not. I don't think so. I have too much game to make already. I don't need to make more game for me to make. Yeah, that's fair. Like I was thinking, like it would be a neat if you could have a part of the game that was required you to be become fluent in King's Kent uh, in order to solve a oh, puzzle wow. or something. That would be really oh my neat. God. But See, now that would be cool. Ah. <laughs> yeah, you know, if the game takes off, it'll get on Duolingo too. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wait, are there languages from games that have made it into Duolingo? Uh, so not games that I know of, but the, uh, whatever the language is called from Game of Thrones. Dothraki? Uh, the other one, Valar Morghulis. I forgot what it's called. Yeah, me, me too. I tried learning it and then it made me angry within like the first two lessons. Oh, why? Well, that was the, that was the intent of the creator. Right. Uh (laughs) Yeah. yeah. uh I want to make a language that makes people angry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It worked. So can anybody just write a, like a language plugin for Duolingo and then teach people the language or does, does it have to be created by the official uh, developers? I think currently it goes through official channels. I mean, there are more of us than there are Duolingo. Yeah, just storm the castle. It also wouldn't be a super complicated system to do a clone of. You could just get some flashcards. Call it Luodingo. And Luodingo, as it happens, is the King's Cant phrase for flashcards. Yeah, see, this stuff's easy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's there's the other, another another complication. Essentially, Catacomb Kids, the world of Catacomb Kids would have two languages in it, and the language that the Grumbles speak would be derived from King's Cant. And so I would have to like figure out King's Cant, which is a constructed language, and then I would have to figure out Grumble, which is a, de- a language like a natural language that was derived from this originally constructed that language. That organically grew up. I feel like you're setting yourself a hard problem here. But that's what I do. That's 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 just my life. <laughs> so here's what you do. You have a bunch of kids and you teach them only this language and you see how it evolves. And then 80 years later, you finish making the video game. Right. Oh, yeah. So, so someone mentioned to me, and this is something I haven't actually looked up yet, but someone mentioned to me that something that I should look up is Nicaraguan Sign Language, which uh, apparently in Nicaragua, they like created a school for uh, to like teach, you know, deaf and, and, you know, hearing impaired kids sign language and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But no one who was teaching was actually deaf. And so they did a very bad job of actually making language. But the thing that happened was that they got all these kids together in the same place who were deaf and they created their own sign language, just like naturally, just from all finally having a community where they could communicate with each other uh, and just be proximate. And so that seems like a really cool thing that I don't know much about, but should probably look into because it's, Sounds really neat. Yeah. That's incredible. Like, yeah. Like if I'm tasked with like teaching a, bu- a community of deaf people a new language, all you do is put them in the same room. Right. And exactly. They, they figure it out. 
just collect your paycheck doing nothing. You guys ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. I feel like that was surprisingly fruitful. Yeah. Uh, Tyreek, your topic is Topic Records. So, Topic Records is a British folk music label which played a major role in the second British folk revival. Ooh. It began as an offshoot of the Workers' Music Association in 1939, making it the oldest independent record label in the world. And indie means like indie rock, where it's a a genre as opposed to like any sort of financial independence, right? Uh, Actually, I think financial independence is maybe the definition in this case. Okay. So, yeah, uh, one one of the things that that I read is that uh, that their record label... uh, So, it has a corpus of industrial folk songs, which... Sounds like it would be like industrial music, but apparently it's just music that people sang in factories during the Industrial Revolution and stuff. Right. That makes way more sense than... (laughs) But it's also way less interesting. Yeah, I guess it is. But now I want to hear like industrial folk music, like industrial music, but folk music. Yeah. I feel like that would be kind of a cool composite or a cool construction. That was also the wrong word. I'm really bad at coming up with words right now. Combination. Combination is what I was thinking. Well, you've got a bunch of synths. Well, is industrial music synthy though? Maybe it might be sample heavy. Sample heavy, yeah. Like when I think of industrial music, I think of like like really distorted drums, but like also like I mean, this might just be the, because it has the words industrial in it, but metal, mm-hmm. like metal objects, like literal metal objects being involved. Yeah, I, I think of chainsaws rubbing together. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. That sounds incredibly dangerous. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like two people just rev up chainsaws and they're like, make them kiss. And then <laughs> <laughs> peaches meet your fate. And then you make the chainsaws kiss. <laughs> <laughs> So tell me about your synthesizers. I want to know. Oh, so, well, I have a um, Mother 32 Moog and also a drummer from another Moog. Because apparently Moog has a line of synthesizers that are all just motherly in named. Right, in named. Yeah. They have the Mother 32, they have the drummer from another mother, and they have the grandmother, and then they have the matriarch. And I want the latter two, but they're expensive. The real cost isn't in the money. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Go on. It's, uh, I, was, I was getting it like like your soul or blood or, okay. you know. Oh. Maybe you oh. have to give it an offering of your hair every morning. Yeah, I that see. sounds right. I really like the word matriarch. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good word. I also like that elephants have matriarchs. Like elephants are matriarchal societies. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't I know, that. know that. That's that's uh, That's cool. Anyway, my synths. Uh, yeah, so I have those. And the drummer from Another Mother, I'm not a huge fan of, but I keep seeing people do cool stuff with it that I can't do. And I'm like, how are you doing these cool things? So I think I'm just going to sell mine because I can't seem to actually make any use of it. You think like wh- whoever you sell it to is going to make better use of, of the drum machine? I assume so because I'm. it's bad to me. I mean, it's not bad to me. I, I just can't. Get it. They're just going to take it and feed it the hair and it's going to do the cool shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- maybe that's the problem. I haven't been feeding it enough hair. Yeah. yeah feed it more hair. I'll, 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 uh, I'll look into its diet and uh, see that it's getting its nutritional needs net. Need, need, needs met. <laughs> <laughs> it feeds on sunlight. <laughs> and human hair. <laughs> human hair. <laughs> so I think I'm finding that the kind of music that I actually want to make doesn't necessarily jive with the way that I want to make the music. Oh, that's an interesting problem. Because, so, like, the synths and stuff, I really enjoy, specifically the Mother 32, I really enjoy, like, jamming out on it, and it's really fun to mess around with. But when it comes time to, like, actually make a song or, like, a composition or something, it doesn't seem to fit within the context of anything that I want to do. Because the things that I want to do tend to be in my mind, much more like suited to traditional instrumentation, like drums, guitar, bass, and that sort of thing. And when it comes time to like, actually like, oh, let me bust out my synth. It's like, I can't, oh, where do you fit? Okay, I guess you could be the bass, but also I have a bass, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that I could just play. And so, yeah, that's kind of the thing that I've been struggling with. So it's like, I don't want to get rid of my Mother 32, 
but I just don't know how to get the best use of it. And I guess it's it might be the same problem that I'm having with the drummer from another mother, uh, except I don't have fun with the drummer from another mother, but I do with the Mother 32, so. Yeah, I, I this isn't exactly the same problem, but my experience trying to incorporate synthesizers or like hardware sequencers into a composition is that you're dealing with such micro scales in a synth or in a hardware sequencer where like you're either dealing with like 50th of a second attack and you're thinking about like micro details of, you know, the filter sweep uh, or you're like dealing with like a two bar loop in a, in the case of a hardware sequencer, right. just like a really short loop. And when I want to think on in terms of um, like a composition, I think it's song scale and I don't know how to yeah, get from there from one point to the other. Like I, I feel like if I wanted to use a, um, a traditional hardware sequencer in a composition, I would want to like, I would write something and then I would sample that whole bar and then I would do that like 50 times. And then I would take those 50 samples and then go into onto a computer and actually use the serious tools. Right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the exact same problem that I've been having. Okay. Yeah. 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 Maybe just do the thing I said. Well, so the, I, I will say the one, the one sort of success ish or whatever that I feel like I've had has been trying to convert an existing song that I made years ago to like incorporate the synth into it. Uh, and so, so like I found a song that I made forever ago and I was like, okay, how can I take this song and deconstruct it into its constituent parts and then transfer that over to the synth and then like reconstruct it and, and like perform it live. Cause ultimately that's my goal is to get to, then that's why I wanted the synths in the first place is because like, it's like, okay, working on the computer is fun, but also I kind of want to get to a point where I can like perform or something like that. And I don't want to just have a backing track that is unreactive. I guess the ideal scenario would be having a band that knows what they're doing. But, but yeah, so, so I, I took the song and I sort of like broke it down into its, into its uh, parts uh, but like one of the things that helped was the fact that it was a very simple song that didn't really have a whole lot going on in it. Just like, okay, this part repeats four times and this next part does. And then, and then it goes back to repeating four times and that sort of thing. And it turned out okay. But yeah, like other than that, like trying to come up with something whole cloth, starting with the synth and then moving, moving into a more structured composition, I've been finding incredibly difficult and haven't quite managed to do it yet. Working with an existing known composition is a hugely different beast than trying to yeah. find a new composition because like, like if you, I guess that analogy might be like working in like a marble sculpture, like you wouldn't want to try to be discovering what you're even trying to sculpt with a, with a hammer and chisel. You want to work in, I don't know, I don't know what it would be, maybe you'd work in wax or something like that, something you can push oh, and pull on, find the shape yeah. you're looking for. Uh, in that medium, and then once you know what you're making, then you say, "Okay, I'm going to make that in marble." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And same thing with like game development. Like it's it's when you're trying to do a bunch of prototypes, you want to work in a language that's super malleable and flexible. And you know, once you've done that, and then you can go to the Apple II and start writing assembly code. Once you figured out what it already is, I can't really relate to that. I'm I, I use game maker <laughs> <laughs> right fair well in this analogy the marble is the assembly code and gml is the wax yeah sure okay let's go with that <laughs> okay. okay you haven't worked in marble either huh i have never worked in marble no <laughs> is the implication that you're supposed to go rewrite your gml and assembly yourself I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna recode Catacomb Kids in assembly. <laughs> if that's what you're implying. If you're trying to get it onto the Apple II, you're not. That's that's really your only option. I wonder if you could like so, write like a video player and then stream it from a uh, from your PC, like stream the Catacombs Kids screen onto your Apple II, and if the stream. <laughs> <laughs> and if the the playback was fast enough, it might be playable. Okay, so do older computers like that have uh, like maximum network speed? Because like streaming, streaming games is like becoming a thing, right? Like you could, yeah. 
the Apple II, like I don't think it had, I think it had modems, you know, like you would actually hook them up to the phone line and we're talking like 240 bytes a second at best. But like if you put in a, like a modern, somehow a modern network card hooked it up somehow, I bet you could get pretty good speeds. Right. All right. We're coming up on time. Okay. I think we did a good job dealing with all these topics. Yeah. We did a great job. I'm proud of us. I'm surprised at how much we got out of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having us on. Yeah. Yes. Jenny, if this is something you want out of your life, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can email me at Jenny at JennyPaladna.com. I stopped being on Twitter and it's great. <laughs> and I'm really enjoying it and I'm getting so much hobbies done. That explains why I had to send you a message on Hangouts. Yeah, I haven't lo- if you've been DMing me on Twitter, I haven't seen any of them. Yeah, I stopped doing that. Yeah, that's a good plan. That's good. Like I I'm glad to hear that's working out for you. It's uh, really nice. I don't have to find out what the thing that everybody's being angry about today is. I could tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh Tyreek, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh I am Forbit Friday on Twitter, all spelled out, no numbers. I am also Forbit Friday most other places. If you just Google it, that's probably me. All right, and that's that's uh that's the end of this uh this topics only topic lords. We did it. We really nailed this uh Yay! I'm really proud of us. I can't yeah, believe we got we away did with way it. Way better than I expected, right? <laughs> we got away with it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com. You can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode.